All right, you ready to study scriptures here this morning? Like I said, we're kind of doing this in a little bit different sort of order things. You'll see this a little bit because this morning we're doing a Storytellers um, Sunday. And we have some people that are going to share some of the God stories of their own life. And we've just finished a series called We Believe. And in this series, the last eight weeks, we looked at really what are the core beliefs of Christianity, those absolutes that we're supposed to ground our lives on. And I think there's something beautiful. There's something unifying about these shared beliefs. It's what makes us, what the Apostle Paul describes, is what makes us a real church body. So that no matter where you go in the world, if you're around other fellow believers, followers of Jesus, Christ, then these are shared beliefs that we have. These are, these are our commonalities. You may not speak the language. The music may be different. The, the service format may be different, but they're really true followers of Jesus Christ. These are our core values. These are the things that ground our lives. And, but when you look around at the room this morning, when you think about it, every one of us came here with a story. Every one of us has a story. There's, you have a story of how you found Jesus. Or if you're still trying to look for Jesus, trying to understand who Jesus is, we all have a story that's, that's centered around who Jesus is. And there's a story about how you got connected to this church or even how you got here this morning. And there really is a story that's developing in your life right now, what God is doing in your life right now. There's, there's a story there. And so when we say we believe, yes, it's corporate, but it's also amazingly and deeply personal. And many of your stories are, they're absolutely amazing. And I know this because several weeks ago, we asked you to email us some of those God stories, what God has done in your life and how you know that God is real. And, and so it's been fun reading those different stories of yours. And we obviously this morning don't have a time to read all of yours or for all of you to share your stories here. And so we've just asked a handful of people here this morning to share some of those stories. And part of the impetus of this, I don't know if you have, have ever seen this, in Austin there's a place called Backyard Storytelling. Have you, any of you have ever heard that before? Anybody? It's, there's, there, it's, it's interesting because Austin is known as the live music capital of the world, right? And there's all these different venues, very eclectic venues for different things. Well, there is this place called Backyard Storytelling where people come and they have five minutes to share a story. And so you have librarians and teachers and, and emergency workers and doctors and nurses and stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads coming, and they have five minutes to share a story. And there's only 10. 10 people are able to share a story at one moment. And over 700 people come to these. Each time they're hosted, over 700 people come to these storytelling. And when I heard about that, I was thinking, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how, um, number one, people want to share their stories, and number two, people want to hear those stories, and, and I was thinking about it in terms of us, we, of all people in the world, people who are followers of Jesus Christ, should want to share our story. In, in um, Psalms chapter 71, verse 14, it says, but as for me, I will always have hope. I will always praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. See, when something happens in our life, when God does something in our lives, 
We're supposed to just automatically share those things. We're to, we're to communicate those things. We're to go tell it on the mountain, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to proclaim and declare the goodness of God in our lives. I want you to look at this story in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. It says, And they had sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he wore uh, worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out, out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they, begged him not, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herds of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter there, so he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the, in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been, had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. See, it's so important for us to understand that it, when we share our stories, there's a couple points I want to I draw out, because number one, our stories let us reflect on what God has done in our lives. Our stories let us reflect on what God has done in our lives. Over the last several weeks, as we've been getting these stories coming in, as we've been talking with all the different people that um, had shared those stories, one of the things that we kept hearing over and over is that as people wrote down their stories, something happened. Because all of a sudden, things became a little bit more clear at what God was doing in their life and what had happened to them just by writing down those different stories. And I think that's so important because when we stop and reflect on what God has done in our lives, it solidifies those things. It solidifies that working. It makes it clear even in our own head. Why don't you look at the story in John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some asked. Some, some said, Is it he? It, it, it is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered. The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Then they brought 
to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. So the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe they'd been blind and had received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received the sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. It's such an interesting story, such a comical thing that's happening with this man's life. But this man, he's reflecting. He's remembering what God did in his life. And he doesn't know all the ins and outs. He doesn't know all the theological implications of this. He doesn't even know how to answer all of these questions. But the one thing he does know was, I was blind, but now I see. See, when we reflect and remember the stories of God, it solidifies what God does, has done in our life. And then number two, our stories encourage others. Our stories encourage others. I think a lot of times we think our stories are just for ourselves or what God is doing in our life are just for ourselves. But the reality is what God does in our life, yeah, it's for you, but it's also for others. It's to comfort others. It's to encourage each other. It's to point people in the right direction. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Always remember that what God does in your life is never just for you. It's just never for you. We're, so, we're to pass those things along continually. That's why it's so important for us to share the stories because they're not just for you, they're, they're for others as well. And then number three, our stories help us look for God at work. Our stories help us look for God at work. Think about it this way. Have you ever bought a car or a van or a truck and you wanted it to be unique? You know, you got tired of going to your park in the parking lot. You can't find your car because it looks like everybody's vehicle is exactly the same. And so you go with the intent of buying a different color, different make and model than everybody else has. And so you purchase it. But as soon as you leave that parking lot, then all of a sudden, everywhere you look, there's your same vehicle. The same color, the same make, the same model that you bought that you thought was going to be unique. But now you see it everywhere. It's interesting because there is, this is called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's actually something that's defined. It's otherwise known as the frequency illusion or the recency illusion. And it says this, this phenomenon occurs when the thing is you've just noticed, experienced, or been told about suddenly crops up constantly. It gives you the feeling that out of nowhere, pretty much everyone and their cousin are talking about the subject or that it is swiftly surrounding you. But you're not crazy. You are totally seeing it more because you're noticing it more. 
It's something that happens with us, and, and I think this is a lot of times the same way with our, and how God works in our lives, because one of the reasons why we struggle seeing God at work in our lives is because we're not actually looking for Him. We think He's not working, but we're not really looking for Him to work in our lives. So if you'll just stop and look and look back at what's happened in this last part of this, this week and maybe write it down, you're going to be able to then see God's handiwork in your life. And the more that you look for God, then the more you're going to see God in this coming week. It's just like that car. You didn't see it before, but now, now it's on your mind. Now it's on your heart. You're beginning to see the inner workings of God. Another reason why we struggle seeing God at work in our lives is that we tend to think that our story is just one moment. In other words, we kind of dramatize how our stories should be. You know, it's kind of the, ha- the whole hallmark way of thinking that romance is going to be this sort of way, just bells and roses and, you know, furry kitty cats and fluffy, <laughs> fluffy stuff, you know. And so we kind of think that's how our life should be. And so we dramatize how these moments with God should be. It's kind of like we think that our life should be like the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul has this dramatic encounter with God, doesn't he? He has this dramatic conversion experience. He's minding his own business, riding a donkey to another city. When God strikes him down, Jesus stands before him. The the donkey flips him off. Not not he doesn't flip him off. Um, What does he do? Bucks him off. That's the word. (laughs) Anyway... He has this dramatic encounter with Jesus, and he comes to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so often, I think that's what we're looking for. We're just looking for these dramatic things with God, and we just kind of pass off all the other types of things that God's working in our life. But the reality is, yeah, you may have some dramatic encounters with God, but your, your story may be a lot more like the Apostle Peter. When you look at Apostle Peter, there's all these ups and downs that's going on in his life. At one moment, he's on fire for God, and the next moment, you know, he's denying Jesus. Faith and doubt, faith and doubt are just fluctuating in his life. And that may be more these moments with God that you you have. It's just a little bit more gradual, more, more ups and downs. I mean, think of it this way. You know, for me, probably one of the most, the most important, probably one of the greatest days in my life was the day that I, I married Courtney. But when you think about that, that is not the only story that I have with her. Ever since then, I continue. My life is still, I still have more stories that we've had as a result of being together. Well, same is true with your spiritual life. Your salvation experience may be the greatest day in your spiritual life, but it's not the only story that you've had with God. God continues to work in your life. And so this morning, you're going to hear from four different people, just kind of a snapshot glimpse of some stories in their life, ways that they've seen God, ways that they've discovered who God is and where God has become real. And so to start us off, I have a video I want you to watch. Watch this. So I just want to tell y'all about my experience. So I was on my way home from Bryan College Station when I got in a head-on collision with some old lady that was trying to commit suicide because her sister had Alzheimer's or something. And 
I thought it'd be, I thought watching that would get easier since I've seen it a hundred times. For y'all that don't know who I am, Trent Sample, uh, that was Brunel, one of four daughters. Um, I don't know what to, I don't know how to follow that one up, but uh, if there's any questions, I think they were just answered. Um, she did uh, September 14 she was in a head on collision and uh, uh, she was in the hospital for a couple of months there in rehabs and uh, we got her home uh, October of 14 I mean October of 16 and uh, the uh, uh, January 22nd she was having breathing problems and uh, couldn't. <clears throat> she got some kind of infection of the lungs, and we were there for 40 days. Uh, and uh, February 29th, uh, we had to make a decision, and and uh, she went where she knew she was going. Uh, <clears throat> and I say. 
there were, she knew where she was going, and she, I think the, the human mind and body started questioning that, uh, but at the end, she went back to her faith. I mean, she never lost her faith, but, but uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is, is don't let the human and the earthly things get a hold of you. Uh, but she, uh, she's in a better place. <laughs> and, and she said anything that, that I couldn't say. Uh, we got an extra 16, 18 months with her. And obviously, there was a reason. She's, uh, she could probably get up here and speak better than I can. <laughs> she's a way, way better. Uh, she was just open. But uh, I wanted to also, uh, I've been gone, and I joke with Tress, you know, we were gone 40 days, and he, he let his guard down, and, and a new transition came about. <laughs> 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 I said, Tress, we've only been gone how long? And <laughs> but jokingly, um, I'm uh, as as some of y'all know me. I, I'm not a please and thank you guy, but I do want to I do want to thank everyone for praying through even her accident, through this go around. Uh, you know, even coming and helping at the house, anything. Um, but I, I, I want to appreciate everything that y'all have done. Uh, that's about all I've got to say. <laughs> but she said it all. Hello, I'm Alicia Ormsby, and uh, I'm going to tell my story about uh, growth and faith in the Holy Spirit um, through many trials of many kinds. Um, I was at my neurologist's office, and before I even say, sat down, he said, you have a golf ball-sized tumor behind your left eye. I was like, oh, okay. And at the time, I was like thinking, okay, well, I'm only 29 years old, and I've lived a full life, and I don't have any children. I'm not married. It's no big deal. I mean, okay, great. I was scared, yes, a little bit, but I felt like that if God needed to take me, then it was fine. And it's almost like I was saying that, um, you know, he could, that I, get, I let go to him, which is not very easy for me to do sometimes. <laughs> so my parents and my extensive family and friends are praying for me very extensively through this, you know, 10-hour surgery. And within a week after being in the hospital, I said, Doctor, I'm ready to go home. And he released me, and here I am. However, there's a second part, because five years later, when I was married to my high school sweetheart, Kevin, and was pregnant with our first child, then um, my left eye started to do some funny things. And uh, I couldn't really see out of both of them, so I stopped at the Walgreens on the way home and bought a patch. And... Um, it was, you know, like, okay, this is becoming scary. I went to the neurologist, and they couldn't do an MRI because I was pregnant. So we just waited until after the baby was born, and, you know, we were going to take care of things then. The good thing is that during this five-year time between the first surgery was that um, I had 
come to go to Bible church and was learning some verses, rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice, that's one of my favorites, Philippians 4.4. 4. And so I just tried to concentrate on the good things of God. Um, but, however, one month after we had the baby, the doctor took a long time, took a month to call me to tell me that we need to do surgery again. This is a different time for me because I had, you know, a baby to care for and a husband to take care of. And so it was just a different uh, perspective than just being, you know, oh, I'm no problem. I'm going to have the surgery. No big deal. But the good thing is that the doctor uh, that I saw the first time said he can't touch me because he might kill me or actually knock out my eye. And so um, he sent me to another doctor that could, did something called Gamma Knife. And Gamma Knife is this high-intensity radiation. It was scary and creepy and not very fun. But one month later, I was able to take off my patch. No more pregnant pirate. And I was able to... Um, <laughs> I was able to you know, just see again, and I'm living testament right now of all the things that, you know, God did in my life, uh, you know, through the trials and tribulations. Um, and so I guess that, you know, a new verse kind of came to me after this that I've only learned recently, but I've learned about through my own experience of what it is all about. But um, James said in the beginning of James, he says, consider it pure joy, my dear brothers and sisters, Whenever you endure trials of many kinds, for the testing of your face develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That is an awesome pro promise to hear from God and from um, all of us. And I just, uh, you know, I, I rejoice in that, and I'm thankful that I'm here. And we're, we're going to all have, have trials and tribulations, but we have to understand that if we believe and we ask for help, then we'll be taken care of. Amen. Amen. How are y'all doing today? My name is Gary Henry, and uh, I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone, so uh, I was telling the Rev that I usually do this for a living, but if there's a different uh, subject matter. Don't talk too much about my life experiences, and normally uh, when somebody asks me to talk about who I am, I don't have a real good response. Uh, over the years in another life, I hung out, <clears throat> hung out with the banditos, and in later life, with my wife and I, helped to start a church down here in South Austin. And there's a bunch of stuff that happened in between that. In the words of uh, Burnell, that's it. That's all I got to say. But uh, Russ the Rev and Ross the Boss kind of uh, <laughs> ambushed me. Kind of ambushed me again the other day and asked me to talk to to you folks about uh, something that I've been doing for a while. But I've got to tell you that right now that I'm probably the last person that you would ever, ever expect to do what I'm going to tell you about. But it's, uh, you know, I, would, I, would, I know that if my mama was sitting in here, she would probably get the vapors and faint right away if she saw me up here. But anyway, I want to tell you, 
Some of you folks might remember back a few years ago, or a couple years ago, we had a program here over Easter. And it was, uh, we had a, we had a, a video that went, that, that was shown, and it was graphic, and it showed, it showed Jesus. He was being beaten. He was being humiliated. He was, he was dragged through the street. He was forced to, to haul that cross up to Golgotha, and he was nailed to that cross, and he died for our sins. He gave us a way to the Father, and you know, and that was that. That was throughout that whole that video, and then at the end, we were given. We were given a nail. I'm sure that some of you folks remember remember that. But at the end, we had to give our nail back. And but at the time that I was holding that nail, it almost became a portal. It became, it became something that was, that was very personal. You know, I'm a, I'm a visual person. I saw the video, and, I, and, I, and I'm holding the nail, and, I'm, and you know, it, it just helped to visualize the whole thing. And something happened that day. I can't explain it. I don't know. But I had to give my nail back, and I didn't like that. So after the service, I went back and I asked for a nail, one of those nails back, so I got that. Well, I held that in my pocket, and then, uh, and I kept that with me all the time. And every time that I'd reach in my pocket to get change or anything, I could see that nail, and it reminded me, Christ died for me. I'm, you know, that's amazing. So... One day, I'm out on 620 at a 7-Eleven, and uh, went in there, and I bought a ROC Coca-Cola and a Moon Pie. And for, for folks from Colorado and points north, that's a major food group in East Texas. So, but I had my nail in my pocket. So... I walked up there to the uh, to the counter, and I took my change out, and I'm counting them, you know, my money of, to pay for my stuff. And this young lady said, "What's that?" And I said, "Well, that's my nail." And she says, "What?" I said, "Well, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what Christ did for me. Let me tell you what He did for you." And I told her the story, and at the end I said, can I give that nail to you? Would, would you like that? And she said, really? You know, yes, yes. So I gave her my nail, and I didn't plan that. I just did it, and it seemed like the right thing at the time. So I gave her my nail, and when I walked out, you know, I turned around and looked, and I think that the two or three people behind me thought the Traveling Revival show was in town. <laughs> but she had her nail, and she had it in both hands, and she was looking at that. And there was something about her, something about her, I, I, her expression. It, it, was, it was amazing. So 
I got back out to my truck, and uh, I'm thinking about that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about that experience and what she looked like and the, her reaction. It was phenomenal. But then it dawned on me, I don't have my nail. <laughs> I thought, what am I going to do with that, you know? I, this became a very important to me. Again, it's, it was something tangible. It was, it was something that I could hold on to, something that I could look at. And it was with me all the time. Jesus was with me all the time. But I didn't have my nail. So what was I going to do about that? I thought about going to the church and getting a, seeing if they still had those. But then I thought, nope. What I'm going to do, I'm going to go buy a box of nails so I'll have a nail. So I did. I went and bought a box just like that. Well, I took one of those nails out and I put it in my pocket and I put that box in the office and I didn't do anything with it for a while. And something just kept nagging me about and thinking about that young lady there at that 7-Eleven and thinking, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with that, that box of nails? And I thought, I thought, well, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some in my work bag, and I'm going to give those away. I'm going to take that opportunity. And God said, I know God said, well, it's about time you figured that one out. <laughs> so I had these nails in my work bag, and I had one in my pocket. And so I had an opportunity. I was over in, uh, in East Texas, and uh, I, was talk I was at a business, and I was talking to the manager of this company, a, a lady, and she's a big gal, and she was mean. I mean, we were getting along pretty good, but she was... Uh, you know, I could tell that in you know, talking to her, her the, the people that worked for her, she was, she was hard. I coined a phrase, she was hard as nails, right? <laughs> but, but she was, but during our conversation, something came up, and she was talking a little bit about her personal life. And it turned out she was having problems her husband was a, an advanced diabetic and had a couple of amputations. They were having financial problems, and they were having, she was having problems with one, with with a couple of her kids. And but I noticed there was a cross on the wall, and I said, you know, I, I want to tell you, when I say this lady was hard or mean, I, she'd make Nurse Ratchet look like Daisy May, but. Telling you what, you know, I said, I noticed that you crossed up there. I said, would you mind if I shared something with you? Could I pray with you? And she got kind of a strange expression on her face, and I said, yeah. So we did. And I, then I told her my story about my nail. And I told her that Jesus is there for you. And then at the end, you know, I said, could I give you my nail? And keep this. It'll give you support. It, you'll, you'll know that he's with you all the time. 
And she got up from behind that desk, and I thought she's going to come around there and whoop me. <laughs> well, she came around there, but I, and as I stood up, I noticed she was crying, and she hugged me. She said, you will never, ever understand what that means to me. I thought, wow. So it was, uh, that was another amazing experience. You know, I'm telling you that the opportunities to do this, the opportunities to share and to do something like that, they, they abound. I was at Academy. I was buying a handgun. This young man behind the counter, he had this really neat cross around his neck, and, and it was made out of nails. And I said, that's a nice cross. Oh, yeah. And we talked about it a little bit. And I said... Can I share something with you? It's a young man. You know, I wouldn't have expected this, but we talked about it, and I told him, you know, Christ is the answer. Christ is the only way, and can I give you my nail? The young man came around from behind the counter and gave me a big hug right there in, 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 in Academy. And again, you know, he says, with all the problems that I've been having at home and with everything you can't imagine. I said, I really, really appreciate this. Said, wow, that's cool. You know, and again, I was in Brownsville a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking to a manager of a company down there. And uh, he says, uh, we got to talking a little bit, and he said, I asked him, how long have you been in this, this job? And he said, oh, not very long. He said, I've been out of work for a long time. I've, I've had a lot of problems at home. My wife and I were having problems. We had financial trouble. I'm trying to quit smoking. I've been praying about this. Keyword. Okay. There's the opportunity right there. We've been praying about this and, and trying to to get over it and finally God answered a prayer and we got this job right here and he said, I'm trying to make ends meet now and we're trying to do good. And I said, can I share something with you? <laughs> so we talked a little bit. We had a little prayer and I told him about the experience and I told him about, uh, we talked about Christ for a minute and I gave him a, a nail and, and when I left, we were walking back up you know, we were walking back up there past some of his employees. And the man had tears coming down his, his cheeks. And he's holding his nail in both hands. His, and, you know, a couple of the guys over there, said, You know, I said, what's wrong with the boss, man? He's crying. So, but he says, you know, you don't, you just, you don't realize what you've done, what you've, what you've done to help me. He said, this is something that I'm going to keep with me all the time. I won't let it go. I've got a friend in New Mexico that I've known him for over 40, 45 years. He has made bad decisions all of his life. We love him to death, but he's made bad decisions all of his life. And he, uh, he uh, talked him through depression, talked him through 
times when he was going to commit suicide. Talked him through times when he's had terrible financial problems. But, but well, I saw him one time and I gave him a, we talked about this, I told him what this means to me, what it should mean to him, and I gave him a nail. Well, he lost it. He had a hole in his pocket. And he got a hold of me. He says, hey, Gary, I had a hole in my pocket. I lost my nail. Can you give me another one? Sure, brother. You betcha. I've only had one, one person. One person. There's, there's, 70, there's about 65 to 70 nails in one of these boxes, okay? And I've only had one person say no. It was at a 7-Eleven. Sounds like I hang out in those places, doesn't it? <laughs> so I was at a 7-Eleven. I picked up, I was getting some change out, and, I, and this guy behind me said, you dropped something. I looked down, and that was my nail. So I picked it up, and I said, this is my nail, and I certainly appreciate that you, uh, you, you, you pointed that out. And he said, let me tell you about my nail. And I said, could I give that to you? He said, no. I, no, 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 no. Well, I didn't push that. He said, but I said, I wish you would. He said, but just remember, Jesus loves you, brother. So, that was the only one. Well, I've saved the best to last, I think. We, uh, some of you folks know that I, I play with hot rods, cars, old cars. Well, my wife and I had gone to St. Louis for a, uh, uh, a car show. And it was put on by a car club called the Cross Members. Now, Cross Members is a part that goes into a frame on, a, on an automobile. But in this particular case, it was a Cross Member. Members of the Cross. It's a, it a Christian car club. Well, I was there and we were... We were talking to some of the folks, and I was talking to one of the guys there, and we were sharing about our faith. And I said, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about what happened at church, and we did this, this program, and, and I told him about that. And I said, and we were given a nail, and I told him a little bit about that. And I, and I said, could I share this with you? Would, would you like this? And he, absolutely, absolutely. Well, he took that nail, and it was a couple hours later, this, another guy came up and he said, Hey, uh, were you talking to Brent over here the other day, just a while ago? Yeah. He said, Well, did you give him a nail? Uh, yeah, I did. Well, what's that about? So I told him. And I said, And by this time I'd already gone to my car and I'd gotten my other, got me another nail. So he said, Do you have any more? Said, just happened to have one. So I gave him one. Well, it doesn't end there. What do they say? Wait, there's more. <laughs> so, after we got back home, uh, I was, uh, I, I, got a, I got a note from one of the guys, the very first guy. He said that he had taken his nail and that story and gone, and, and he was at his, uh, his men's group at church. And every one of the, the guys in his, his men's group had decided that they would buy a box of nails. 
and they were going to do the same thing, and they were going to testify, give their, their, give their testimony, and give away a nail to everybody that they could. They were taking that opportunity. That was really cool, man. So, a little bit later, I got another call from the second guy, and he was saying that everybody in the car club in St. Louis now has bought a box of nails, and they're doing the same thing. And these guys, you know, we all go to rod shows all over the country and do all these things, so there's, like I say, there's plenty of opportunity to do that. So, so we have a, a whole group of people carrying nails and trying to give them away. And I'll try to close this up. Again, I'm probably the last person in the world that, that would expect to do this. I have no idea. I, I didn't plan on doing this. Not at all. But something... It was the first, that first experience in giving away that nail and, and, and seeing that young lady that, that really, really grabbed me. And so now I have what I have done. I've been able to give away a whole box. So now I've only got one left. So what would you do? I went and bought another box of nails. <laughs> so now I'm prepared again. My goal was one, but how can you stop doing something like that? Now, I, I want to add one more thing, and then I'll, I'll sit down. But <laughs> and, and, and the rev says, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> Folks. There's, there's all this. There's, there's. You've all heard about the silent majority. It's the Christian silent majority. Then we're not. We don't always speak up. But it's time for each and every one of us to step up and speak out. And if I can do it, the Lord knows everybody else can. We have, we have articles in the newspaper that are, that are, trying to get Christians to forsake Christianity and take up. Islam. We have articles in the newspaper. There's a movement that they want to, to combine the Koran with the Bible, to take passages from the Koran and put it into the Bible. John says in, in, in Revelations, you don't put anything in and you don't take anything out. And that's good enough for me, brother. So, I've reached, so I, I certainly appreciate it, folks. Thank you. Russ the Rev. I don't, I don't know if I can top that. Uh, my name is Alan Stone. Uh, it's been awesome to, to meet a bunch of people here this morning and see some faces I haven't seen in a while. So five and a half years ago, uh, my wife and our one son at the time moved to Austin from Colorado Springs. And uh, it was crazy. We uh, kind of picked up and moved down here. We moved down uh, in the midst of a bunch of stuff going on. Um, but we moved down, no car, zzz, no job, uh, no place to live, 
Uh, we just packed up and we came down. Uh, and so it, it was stressful, obviously, kind of doing all that. We found out right beforehand that we had our second son on the way. Uh, and so there's kind of all this stuff going on and we get down here uh, and we're trying to figure all this out. So fast forward through about three, three and a half months of job searching and interviewing and and nothing happening. Uh, we're plugged in with one chapel. We're, we're serving, we're loving being in Austin, but we're having to go through like all the stress that comes along with, um, with not having jobs or transportation or any of these kinds of things. Uh, things that we kind of take for granted on a regular basis. And so we, <clears throat> fast forward, I finally land a job. Uh, about three months later, I land a job and our, our pile of cash that we had moved down with to sustain us was quickly becoming an anthill uh, of pennies. The cash was long gone. Uh, and so we're, <clears throat> we get to this point. I land the job. I start the job. We're four days from payday. Uh, and we have $20.34 in the bank. And so I was like, all right, we, we can do this. We can make it till Friday. Uh, we'll be good. So we, we stop at HEB. We, we've got 10 bucks for groceries, 10 bucks for gas, because uh, our gas tank is running, running on empty, much like our cupboards were, uh, and our bank account. And so we, uh, we go into HEB and we buy $10 worth of ramen to last us like six months, you know. Uh, and so we, so we go in and we spend these like 10 bucks on groceries and we come back out and it's pouring down rain. It's January, so it's freezing cold and it's pouring down rain. Um, at least right now it's warm and pouring down rain. And so we come out and we, uh, we get to the car, you know, Tabitha loads up and Jacob loads up and we go to start it and the car won't start. We finally got a car, but it was, it was, it was bad news. And so the car won't start. And so we're sitting there and it won't start. It won't start. It won't start. And so I'm like, all right, we're going to have to get a jump. Uh, and so I'm out there like in the pouring rain, Tabitha's out there. We're trying to like wrangle up anybody that we can find. I'm like, Hey, will you give us a jump? And uh, I don't have cables. I don't have cables. Uh, there was plenty of good Samaritans in the parking lot, just none with jumper cables. And so we, uh, so we asked probably like 50 to 60 people for jumper cables, and nobody had any. Uh, so back into HEB I go to spend our last $10 on jumper cables. Of course, cables had to cost $10. Uh, and so we come back out. And there was a couple that we had asked on their way in uh, if they could give us a jump. I was like, hey, I bought cables. You know, do you mind giving us a jump? And so they pull around. Uh, they help us get the car jumped. Um, and so it starts, and they, they kind of take off on their way. And I, I get in the car, and I just sit there, just like gripping that steering wheel and thinking, like, and, and just thinking, praying, like, is this it, God? Like, the, I don't even know if I have enough gas to get home now, like, and, and I've got 34 cents left in the bank. Uh, we came down here because you called us here. We've been, we've, we've been faithful. Where are you? Right? Like, where, what's going on? Like, this is where it, it all comes apart is in this HEB parking lot. This is what, this is what I came down here for. I'm, we made a three-month run. And so as I'm sitting there, I sat there for probably 10 minutes, um, Tabitha and Jacob were very quiet, which I'm thankful for. And uh, so I'm sitting there for, ten, like, like I say, 10 minutes. I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden there's a knock on the, on the window of the car. And I was like, oh, man, this is not the time. And so I, I roll the window down, and there's this lady standing there. And it was the lady that had given us a jump. 
And she says, hey, I don't know what's going on in your life or in your world. She's like, but I felt like God wanted me to give this to you. And she hands me 20 bucks through the window. And I sat there and I was like, Like I didn't have words. I looked, I looked ridiculous. I couldn't even say thank you. And she's like, bye. <laughs> and she left. Uh, and it was, it was then that I knew. Like I, I heard God say, I'm right here. And so it was that for me, for us, was, it was a defining moment. It was right there in that moment that we knew that it didn't matter how bad the cards were stacked against us. It didn't matter what the circumstances were. Uh, God's there. And it's like we sang earlier, right? His love never fails and never gives up. And so it doesn't matter if it's financial or relational or physical or health or like whatever the issue is, right? You, we hear it in all these stories this morning of God working through these situations that aren't ideal for us. And yet he's faithful. His faithfulness is there. Uh, and we, we can rely on that. So that's my encouragement to you guys is look for God in those circumstances. When things are going down, when, when you don't understand, when you don't get it, he's there working. Thanks. You know, so in Revelation chapter 12, it says, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And, uh, you know, I think we forget how important the stories of what God did in our lives, we forget and we don't pass that on. And, um, and so this is what this morning has been about and is about, is I want to encourage you, write down your stories. I want to encourage you to take a nail. You, there were nails that hopefully you picked up on your way in and do what Gary did and, and pass that story along of what God has done and is doing in your life. And so as we're ending here this morning, we're going to just take a little, a few minutes here, and, and uh, there's a song called Overcome. And uh, I don't know what's all going on in your life. You may be at that same point where Alan is, where you're trying to figure out, God, where are you in all of this? I've done my part, but where are you in this? That may be where you are. Um, you may be like Alicia and just got some sort of diagnosis um, that is shaking your world, and you're trying to figure out, God, where are you in all of this? Let me encourage you in the midst of what you're going through, um, use your voice just to declare the greatness of God. You know, Psalms 42 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope and trust in God, for I know that I'll yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Sometimes you got to speak to yourself. Come on, soul. God's bigger than this. So if you would, stand up to your feet here, and let's just take just a couple minutes here just to worship again the Lord.